When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. of studios in Dublin. Welcome to Mother Folklore, a podcast about words, Irish, Irish words, words from Ireland. I'm Derek O'Shea. And I'm Padre Quigonic. Something that came up last year after the referendum is a, uh, is a gentleman in the United States basically wrote a tweet about Ireland and Irish in the wake of the, the referendum results. He said, Ireland is such a joke. Look at us. We're nice, modern, anti-clerical progressives. Our prime minister has a quaint title in a made-up language invented by Yeats and Lady Gregory out of boredom. We kill babies and allow corporations to hoard our ill-gotten gains here. And when he's challenging this, as you can imagine, Irish Twitter, quite online. Yeah, to body them. <laughs> he, got, he got bodied very quickly. He got, some, he got a powerfully ratioed in his replies. And then, defending his comments about Irish, he said... Imagine if, at the turn of the last century, someone had recorded the speech of Appalachian hillbillies and mixed it with Anglo-Saxon Middle English grammar and orthography and endless dopey neologisms and called it a quote-unquote language. But this is a pretty ridiculous thing because the actual, as we've said before, a language is a dialect with an army. <laughs> yeah. Or a beer. Or a beer. Or yeah. a beer. If you have your own beer or an airline. Yeah. yeah. That was the, that was but a, definitely a beer. Thank you. You knew these things. Yeah. So... And it just struck me, there is a richness too to the dialect of the Appalachians, which has its own Irish and Scottish influences. And our guest today is going to talk to us of those things. Rebecca Wells. Hello. Hello, Rebecca. Falchka Mother Folklore. Got a meal market. Rebecca, you're calling us from Nashville in Tennessee, am I right? Yes. How are things over there today? Very well. Um, it's a nice fall morning here, about 40 degrees this morning. Forty degrees. What's what's that in real terms? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Is that seven. warm? <laughs> yeah. Seven. Oh, that's not warm at all. That's fresh. No. It, no. It's gas because we we can convert kilometers to meters and pints to liters easy um, easy enough, but because the temperatures have different zeros, we can't do the Fahrenheit to Celsius yeah, at all. No, it's really there is a thing, isn't there? Isn't there a um, isn't there a little metric, a little a little calculation you can do in your head, like divided yes. by two and take away four or some shit I have no idea I believe so I've never been much good at numbers so <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're a languages person we like languages yeah. peoples so Rebecca you got in touch with me recently and you mentioned that you, you brought up this idea that in the Appalachian parts of the United States there is an influence of Irish and Scottish languages in the music and in the local language and the dialects 
Yes, um, there is. And my family has a bit of a background in that. Um, I shared with you earlier that um, many of my family has come from Ireland and England and Scotland and settled in the Appalachian Mountains, um, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia. Um, and there are there are a good many shared words and shared concepts between the two. Um, so a, a couple words I looked up that I wanted to make sure I was accurate about um, were the words clan, um, the concept of keening, bairn, oh, yeah. shenanigans, uh, galore. Yeah, of course. <laughs> And would there be would there be many would there be many shenanigans in Appalachia? Would there would you, would it be fair to say there would be shenanigans galore in Appalachia? I think that would be very fair to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I've taken part in my share of shenanigans. <laughs> Can I interrupt to just ask that you might clarify? Um, I was gonna I'm gonna be lazy and say for our listeners, but um, <laughs> for me, can you define Appalachia? Because the Appalachian uh, the Appalachian Mountain region in the U.S. It's huge. It's way, way bigger than Ireland. Like, we're not talking about a small area. Yes, um, absolutely. So the ac- the geological Appalachians would stretch from Belle Isle, Canada, into uh, Cheaha Mountains in Alabama, um, which mm. is quite a big region. Um, the cultural region, however, is a little bit smaller and would extend from the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia to the Great Smoky hmm. Mountains in Tennessee and South Carolina. Well, wow, that's that's still a significant geographical um, area to cover. Oh, absolutely. When you say it's a cultural area, that would be an area with its distinct sense of, of, of musical traditions and, and spoken traditions and local yes. actual dialects, yeah? Yes. So, obviously, there's a great difference between you know, the coast of Canada and Alabama, <laughs> I would venture to say. Yes. Um, but generally between the Blue Ridge Mountains and the Great Smoky Mountains in that little stretch of the south, um, the culture there has been relatively cohesive and stayed pretty pretty much the same since um, probably the late 1700s to the mid-1900s. And then it was actually not until World War II when people started venturing away from that area and starting to seek work in Chicago and Philadelphia and Detroit. And um, that's actually during, that's the time period in which this, the term hillbilly started being used um, because they hadn't really encountered people of the mountains before. I mean, unless you grew up there. Uh, it was a very insular society, so people didn't really venture out unless they really needed to. Okay. So there's a there's a popular theory in Ireland about the origin of the term hillbilly, but I mean maybe you might have a different perspective on it. The theory that we often hear is that that, that Ulster Scots immigrants would have been named after Prince William of Orange, and those traditions were kept when they moved to the United States. The popularity of the name Billy among them led, contributed to hillbilly being be, becoming a phrase. But is, is that true? Is that is that, is that consistent? With what what you would know? I have heard that, actually, yes. Um, and I've heard varying theories, that that being one of them, the other just being it's a coincidence um, mm-hmm. since the term, the origin of the term being used in popular culture didn't start until about the 1940s and 30s. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a tough sell. I mean, I'm not sure. It, it makes a lot of sense. It's um, plausible rather than provable. 
Yes, yes. I think when you consider that, like, Williamite emigration to the United States would have been the early 1700s, yeah. would have been the colonies, mm-hmm. and it's certainly the area would have suited because they would have been going to places like Virginia, the Carolinas, mm-hmm. uh, and moving in westward to places like eastern Kentucky, uh, right in the heart of Appalachia. Uh, unfortunately, you can't really find the term hillbilly in print until about 1898. So it would suggest an independent... Uh, but that said it doesn't mean that it doesn't come from exactly that background of people because um, Billy is an old Scots word for comrade or companion so it doesn't necessarily have Mm. to do with Williamism but it does come from that fabled Scots-Irish descent Mm -hmm. Right, so there's a lot more evidence proving or supporting that claim at least so at the very least it's very very possible like I know sometimes when I hear kind of some of the kind of uh, some of the American country music from that region, it's it does sound a little bit like trad, Irish trad, trad music. Would that be <laughs> be fair to say there's any overlap there? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so the folk music of Appalachia definitely has strong, strong roots in Scottish and Irish tradition, mm. as well as English ballads, and um, you know, pretty much it's it's a hodgepodge of that whole region. Um, you have a lot of oral tradition as well, which is not dissimilar to Shannos, um, with the a cappella vocal tradition. Um, and then there's definitely, as you progress through history, a lot of African-American influences started to seep into that and develop, you know, the unique, distinct sound that you hear in bluegrass, which is um, the introduction of the banjo, um, the introduction of blue notes and slides which wasn't as widely used in Irish or Scottish um, traditional music, but it started to be incorporated once the African-Americans, you know, started teaching the settlers in Appalachia their their musical tradition. Wow. It's amazing how, like, the, the music that we listen to, and I listen to a lot of bluegrass and Americana, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the Appalachian uh, rhythms and sounds the influences of uh, African-American music, of course, they're they're absolutely, they're right the way through it. The influences of Irish and Scotch music, but uh, also just the way that it's sort of passed back as well. And that kind of bluegrass influence on Irish music is mm-hmm. like my favourite Irish traditional bands use so-called non-traditional instruments and chord uh, progressions and the like. So, you know what I mean? It's, it's really, it's enriched all the traditions that they've had this sort of cultural melting pot of music. Yeah, I would agree. And um, I love bluegrass as well. I grew up, um, my father's father was in a bluegrass band. My father played bluegrass and then he taught me and my brothers. And we actually had a family band for bluegrass for a while um, until I became a teenager and was like, Dad, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> but, you, um, you rebelled. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> now I'm in a pop band. But but I, I have a very strong love for bluegrass and, and traditional music. And um, one thing I noticed that I thought was interesting is um, the song Barbary Allen. It was uh, it came up several times when I was looking up, you know, the most popular Appalachian songs. And I noticed that Dolly Parton did a recording of Barbary Allen because she actually herself hails from uh, Pigeon Forge in Tennessee. Right. Mm-hmm. It's only three hours from me right now, actually. And um, there's a very strong Appalachian music tradition in her family, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, she did an album in conjunction with Alton. And they did a rendition of Barbary Allen in Gaelic. And I'm pretty sure it was in Irish. Um, 
because it was Alton. But I'm not. You can correct me on that. But oh. it was it was bilingual. It's a very cool rendition if you get a chance to look it up. When you say Barbary, uh, this is this is the old traditional Scottish ballad that it's basically spelled B A R B A R A, Barbara. And yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's that's kind of brings us neatly to a little quirk of Appalachian English that. Um, you know, opera becomes Opry and okra becomes okri mm. and Barbara becomes Barbary. And, you know, that's that's, <laughs> that's pretty unique to that area, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. Um, and I learned it by my grandfather doing it all the time. He is a very strong Kentucky slash Appalachian accent. But, yeah, it just kind of comes second nature, um, especially, you know, around here. But I've only ever heard Barbary Allen. And then once I started looking up, to, like, into the song more, I saw... Barbara Allen, or there's also a title that's The Cruelty of Barbara Allen, um, which is even more intense. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure, she but. was fierce, cruel, old Barbary. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend from uh, Kentucky who uh, I always ask him what baseball team he supports because he tells me it's the Cincinnati Reds because he can't say Cincinnati. <laughs> he just says Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I could talk all day on Kentucky. Uh, yeah, my grandfather... He grew up in, actually, interestingly enough, a town called Holy Cross, Kentucky. And um, it was in the most Catholic county in Kentucky. And it's it's got a lot of strong Irish roots there. And he was raised Catholic himself. Um, but some of the odd things he says, like he, he, doesn't, he doesn't put T's in words where they belong. <laughs> He'll say, that's instead of that's. I don't wow. know if you can hear me through the phone, right? But um, yeah, hmm. yeah. He, or he'll say Walmart instead of Walmart. <laughs> Walmart. Interesting. I don't. It's yeah, funny. That's really funny. In in, that. in Dublin, in Dublin, we have a habit of putting T's at the end of words that they don't belong on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, uh, I was I was talking to me cousin. T- oh, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, he said he knew me Elwant. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> as well as the helper of Al, sometimes like an athlete or an athlete. An athlete. See that that definitely comes from Irish, though. That yeah. absolute the helper oh. vowel absolutely comes from Irish because it's it's part of it's part of Irish. It's there the gutta which is why in mm. in Ireland in Irish English in Hiberno English we don't say film, we say film, mm-hmm. and we don't say athlete. Right. We say an athlete, <laughs> and that's why we don't say the zoo. It's the zoo. <laughs> It's amazing what we do to language. Yeah, but I mean, there's loads of little quirks of Appalachian English that sort of, it's a really, really well-defined and well-spread-out dialect of English. And it's, we would, in Ireland, we're not treated to Appalachian English as much as we would be treated to, like, Southern regional English. We see a lot of, uh, mm-hmm. we see a lot of the, the stereotypical Deep South accent. Mm-hmm. But Appalachian yes. goes beyond an accent. It's it's a dialect. You've, you've changed the words around and, you, you know, you do things differently. Mm-hmm. Particularly the way... You guys tend to use the um, uh, the verb to be. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I know that you guys uh, would do an awful lot of uh, we was instead of we were. Mm-hmm. Am I right? For sure. Yes, absolutely. And 
Um, yeah. So if I were to quote my grandfather, we was down at the Walmart. Um, <laughs> and I have to ask you, do you what what do, what do you call a a fizzy sugar sweetened soft drink? So I have an unfair advantage because I was raised, even though my family's from the Appalachian region, um, I was raised in Southern Pennsylvania. So, mm. and my father is from Maryland. So. Ah. His his half half his family is from Appalachia, but they moved to Maryland, and that's where they met the other half of his family. So, um, so my speech is a little convoluted <laughs> when it comes to all these things. So, like, I'll use Appalachian slang here and there based off my grandfather and uh, his influence, and then I'll say something that sounds distinctly Baltimore uh, <laughs> because of my father's side of the family. So it's 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 a mess, but. Um, my grandfather definitely has influenced, like, we used to make fun of him as kids because he would say something like, uh, I'm from the hills, but it would come out, I'm from the heels. And he'd be like, the heels? Grandpa, what are you saying? The heels? <laughs> and um, he'd be like, you all don't understand my dialect. You guys are ridiculous. Like, you are such Yankees, all this stuff. And um, yeah, he loves he loves to joke about the fact that we're Yankees and he's a Southern boy. Yeah, and, um, your dad but, brought you. He moved north of the Mason Dixon. That's it. You're you're a Yankee. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I was born in Nashville, mm -hmm. and then um, he moved back to Maryland after that. He lived in Nashville from 1980 to 1994, and so I was born down here, and then took. I was taken back up north to Pennsylvania, and that's where we stayed. And um, but so yeah, I have I have a very mixed background when it comes to what region I'm from. So when you're asked, but, um, so when you're asked about what, if you have a carbonated sweetened uh, drink that comes maybe in a can or a bottle, uh, you're aware that there's three or four different ways of referring to it, which what which would identify what yes, part of America. Yes, back to your question. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say soda and my grandfather would say Coke. I've always That's found that fascinating. That's pretty much it in my family. I f found it fascinating though that like in, in, in places like... Um, you know, like in the South, uh, it's it's Coke, no matter what it is. Like, what what's your favorite kind of Coke? It's uh, I like mm -hmm. root, root beer or 7-Up. Yep. 7-Up. Right. <laughs> which which we do over here with um, potato chips with crisps. Like, what's your favorite kind oh, of okay. Tato? Hmm. I like King Tato. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and then, okay. And then you get, like, as, as Cool Pops as well. Is that, is that in Deep South as well or is that... A pop? Yeah. You know, I haven't... I have not heard that one. Um, where where we're at right now, the predominant term is Coke for anything. So, would you like a Coke? Yeah. Well, what do you want? Coke. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we we run into that up up in Pennsylvania. The the there was a divide between pop and and soda, and so people would fight over that all the time. But. Wow, is it really worth fighting over? I mean, <laughs> when I was growing up, when I was growing up, right? it, when I was growing up, it was called a mineral. Yeah, we used to call oh, them. Okay, I don't know how it caught on, but they were good. But uh, fizzy drinks, and this is my my brother lives in Boston. And he says when he when he met with friends, mentions fizzy drinks, they just think it's the funniest thing ever to refer to you know, like a carbonate. They just think it's like something like a, something an elf would say. <laughs> a fizzy drink. Ooh, <laughs> let me have one of your magical fizzy drinks. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've never heard mineral except in Boston. Um, uh, my Boston, husband's Boston's, family's from yeah. there. Boston's full of patties. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Fuerz na Gaelge, who are celebrating 20 years of promoting the Irish language. Fuerz na Gaelge. 
Here is just one of the projects I do. As well as promoting the Irish language in every aspect of education, Faris Nagailga promotes and supports Irish language learning and its use as a lifelong process. Faris Nagailga has two major schemes which target the education sector and young people, the Summer Camp Scheme and Youth Defence Scheme. Through this scheme, up to 170 camps and youth clubs are organised throughout the island every year. This spoke of the wheel is most clearly seen through the work of Gwailin, Cumnavian, and Gwailidachas. It is also promoted through Gwailvratok, a flag for promoting Irish in primary and post-primary schools. The Gwailtok Scholarship Scheme, where up to 500 learners, including young people, adults and families, are given an opportunity to attend the Gwailtok course every year. And a fund to support early education and new crashes. Follow Faris Nagoilge at Faris Nagoilge, that's F-O-R-A-S-N-A-G-A-E-I-L-G-E on Instagram to keep up to date on opportunities and to find out more. So Rebecca, we, we have a perception of Irish America in Ireland, which is largely focused on the uh, the northeast corner, Massachusetts and New York and and the, and and the surrounding immediate areas, and it's largely influenced by, I guess, the kind of um, the, those cities and the, in, in in that particular belt. But obviously, Irish America is is larger and broader and deeper than that, as you as you mentioned before. Yes. Um, so, like I said, uh, there's a a large group of Irish immigrants or um, descendants in Kentucky, as well as Appalachia all over, um, but especially in in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, it's about 12%. Well, it's probably higher in Louisville, but in Kentucky, it's 12% Irish. Um, but actually in, in, in Tennessee, even just in the, the immediate area that I'm in right now, there's about 10 Irish pubs, um, that I, I could find within an hour drive. Um, so there's, there's a very big Irish population down here. I think it just developed quite differently because of the isolation Mm-hmm. And the rural nature of, of this area. And I mean, the Appalachian people are very isolated. And um, so they developed quite differently than, say, Boston or New York, where they they were a little more exposed to modern modern things. And they were more in the public eye. They had, you know, just more communication available to them um, than the people down in the south. So I think that's part of part of the reason probably for that distinction. I think there's there's another thing to bear in mind that a lot of the people who would have settled in um in the US they would have settled uh, or sorry a lot of the people who would have settled in your neck of the woods from Ireland mm-hmm. would have settled there a long long time ago. They would have been people uh, resettled after the Ulster plantation for example in the in the 16th century or after the Williamite mm-hmm. wars. So this is a long time before the concept of Ireland as a nation state was really gaining any traction and for a lot of these people they would have been, you know, what the Americans call Scotch-Irish or Scots-Irish, what we would have called Ulster uh Ulster mm-hmm. Protestants. Yes. They wouldn't be the first people to identify as Irish, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then yeah. Yeah, of course they go over to the to the US where it's like, no, nah, y'all's Irish. That's <laughs> that's enough for me. Right. Or Scots Irish. <laughs> so like and, and and like Boston, New York were not predominantly Irish cities until after the famine. And that's a whole two hundred years mm-hmm. later. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. And that is definitely something that I, I did a little bit more research this week and definitely found that the whole concept of Scots-Irish in, in America is really, it's a confusing dis- term in general, but um, it is based off that Ulster Scots, the Ulster people who moved here. And I don't know how or if there's a way to ever know how many of them identified as Irish, how many of them identified as other, you know, and what their what their feelings were toward that whole concept. And um, I do, I did find one historian that said that often people would complain about being called Scots-Irish one way or the other. Um, it, it's never been a, a very well-liked term, um, no. but it just kind of caught on and it's kind of stuck and it hasn't gone away. So um, yeah, it, it is- has a very different connotation depending on where you are. I'd say so, because you don't really get that with other European, with other, I guess, Americans of European ancestry, you don't have a kind of a condition thrown in with, I'm, I'm thinking like German Americans or Italian Americans, maybe, I'm not sure if people qualify it as being, oh, I'm, actually, I'm Bavarian American rather than, you know, <laughs> rather than German American. Or <laughs> right, don't, right. Don't call me Swedish American, I'm from Uppsala. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not like those right, Stockholm exactly. Americans. <laughs> the only person I've ever heard make that distinction was one of my friends in college who uh, claimed Bavarian ancestry and he was very very adamant about you making sure you didn't use the wrong ish or ich around him and i'm like all right buddy you didn't even live in bavaria yeah. ever so <laughs> get off your but hype anyway. fared <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the bavarians when they did go to america and it's it's credited that cowboys learned to yodel from bavarian cowboys and that's how oh, that, okay. that, that particular cowboy form of singing did start was was, was allegedly of, of German, uh, South German. Uh, that is that's incredible because like you're you, like we're speaking to you, Rebecca. You're in Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the home of country music mm-hmm. in in a, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking of like Jimmy Rogers, who's had that amazing song "T for Texas, T for Tennessee," and he yodeled. He was a yodeler. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, it's yeah. such a small, you know, it's not a small world. It's fucking it's, it's massive. It's amazing, yeah. <laughs> well, and the thing I love about Appalachia and, and this region in, in particular is it's such a it's such a melting pot in a even bigger sense, I think, than we use the term usually because, you know, you had all these people from different backgrounds coming here at such like the same time and became something so unique together mm-hmm. because of where they've all come from. I mean, it's England, Scotland, Ireland, Germany, African-American and Native American, and there's really nothing like it. So, I mean, you can trace the distinctions to specific countries, but at the end of the day, it became something with a life of its own, but it wouldn't be what it is without if any of those groups hadn't come. I want to I want to dig a little deeper into Appalachian English, the the mm. the dialect they speak there. Um, there's some little parts of it that I, I'm absolutely fascinated by. In particular, you mentioned uh, pronunciation, that your granddad would pronounce hill as the heel. Uh, and there's mm-hmm. lots of other ones, like the like the, the word W-I-R-E and the word W-A-R can sometimes end up being pronounced exactly the same. That it's not a it's not yes. it's not a wire, it's a war. And mm-hmm. you don't go to war, you go to war. <laughs> right, yeah. My um, my parents or well, my dad's side, they say oil instead of oil, and that always threw me as a kid too. Because I'm like, I, gotta, I remember my grandma talking about emu oil, and I'd be like, what do you, 
Emu what? what? <laughs> <laughs> and um, so you gotta yeah, put it the, took me gotta, a while. But gotta put the oil in the car. Yeah, yeah, or wash the car even. They put ours where they don't belong too. Now we're just gonna do a little lukewarm mortar, Vin. Yeah, yeah. Okay, tell me a little bit about that because that's absolutely fantastic. So you wash yourself. You don't wash yourself. Hmm. You've got a lovely cosmopolitan no, mixed accent. You personally don't wash yourself, <laughs> but your granddad would have washed himself. Exactly. Yeah, he he would have washed anything, and then he would joke, "Well, is it is it Washington D.C. then, Grandpa?" And he'd be like, "Oh no, it's it's Washington D.C. <laughs> but you wash your car." And I'm like, "Well, why is it different?" And he couldn't explain it, but. Yeah, um, water, water, wash. I, I, I'm trying to think of other examples where they put the R in, but wash is the strongest water. that sticks in my mind. I like that, drinking water. If you, yeah. do, if you don't want a Coke, no, I'll just have a water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 cool. I mean, yeah. the, the technical term for the accent is Southern Midlands. Um, so it's a very rhotic dialect, um, but there's other regions of the south where they actually drop their r's completely yeah th that would be the southern accent that we 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 would be more familiar with through um i do declare yeah. i do declare a violet beauregard yeah uh, yeah the southern mm -hmm. bell yeah and that was um that was more widely spread along the whole i mean it was in virginia more so georgia the the old plantation states which had more um I don't know where the initial influence came from. If it, it must have been English, but um, that that went away pretty quick after the Civil War, mm -hmm. and it's really only survived in about in like Georgia and a little around there where you hear the like butta, mista. Um, <laughs> oh, mista! I do like butta. Kind of yeah, yeah. I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> you mentioned there about the plantation states, and would the Appalachian identity kind of distinguish itself from those the plantations and that that part of history and their history? Yes, that's one thing I noticed um, in reading more about it, and I, I already knew this from ex experience and observation. But I was very interested to read that um, Appalachian culture was very non. They, they really didn't have a concept of racism like the rest of the South did um, mm. because they were they were living side by side with African-Americans and Native Americans in such hardship from the beginning, mm. you know, from from the early 1700s. And even before they they just they, they lived together, they survived together and they didn't really have a concept of class or a concept of um, bigotry as much as the rest of the South did. And I think it was a lot of a lot of it was because they were all most of them were farmers and, you know, just salt of the earth kind of people. Mm -hmm. And then they were all trying to survive together. They didn't really have time for, you know, uh, jostling for, you know, uh, importance and stuff like that. But then they didn't take part in the secession of the South either. They didn't support it. They didn't uh, support the South um, like the Southern agenda for the Civil War. And so they they were largely neutral during that whole time and actually were kind of uh, harassed by the Confederate soldiers mm -hmm. for not um, not joining, not participating, not supporting. So Well, they kind of didn't have skin in the game because they weren't profiting from the slave mm -hmm. trade. So, I mean, like, if you, exactly, freed, yeah. if you freed all the slaves in the morning, it doesn't make much of a difference to Southern Appalachia. Mm -hmm. They like, Right. 
but they weren't probably and yeah. and those people were their neighbors as mm-hmm. well there was a huge african-american population in, in appalachia that just existed they coexisted so yeah and i have the 64 million dollar question for you is it appalachia mm-hmm. or is it appalachia oh <laughs> i have never heard appalachia until there's only one person i've ever heard call it appalachia and it's a college in virginia west virginia which could be excluded from Appalachia to some people, but um, <laughs> I, I've always heard Appalachia, and I say Appalachia. Um, I don't know where where the difference came from, or, or you know, I'm not really sure what's behind that concept of saying Appalachia. Um, it must just be a regional thing, but. Mo- I say mo- Appalachia. You say Appalachia. You're going to me. There's a there is a an academic called David Walls who's written a a chapter called Appalachia in a book called the Encyclopedia of Appalachia, uh, and he insists mm. that if you live in the Appalachian dialect area, it's Appalachia. But if you say Appalachian, that's good enough for me. That seems nice. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, that's interesting. So Rebecca, you, you mentioned there, there was that, that the word clan turns up in App- Appalachia and there was a word for um, keening as well. And were there other words that you, yeah. you, you identified as being distinctly, specifically of, of an Irish or a, 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 or a Gaelic extraction? Well, um, there's the word crag, which is hmm. the word for rock, isn't it, Craig? Craig, or- yeah. Yeah, a crag, yeah. A crag in, in, in Irish English or in Scots English is a rocky outcrop. Hmm. And it definitely mm-hmm. comes from Carig, which is the the Gaelic or the Scots Gaelic for uh, rock. Yeah, so so that's definitely used. And then I also saw um, the word for small bag is poke, oh, and yeah. it made me wonder if it doesn't relate to polka, like pocket, or I don't know if that was a later term or. I think I think uh, they share a common ancestor. Polka and pocket come of the same because there's an old um, there's an old English saying a pig and a poke. And yeah. a poke means a small bag mm. in medieval English as well. So I think they all come from. Oh, okay. I think they all come from the same root. Okay. But I'm really interested in the in the concept of keening. Is is this actually something that's that's practiced in uh, in in these parts of the states? Um, you know, it was. Um, wow. I think it varied by family, mm-hmm. but a lot of um, things that I've I've seen there will be people. I mean, there's one per- person in particular that I read her story, and it was kind of chilling, but. Um, she said that the death, they called it the death whale and yeah. they would, they would do that after someone was pronounced dead by the doctor, there would be a woman waiting at the, the foot of the bed to perform the death whale. And they didn't consider, um, it to be complete until that was, that was, that was done. Um, it was very superstitious, like, um, they're very superstitious in Appalachia in general, mm-hmm. but that was, that was something that I, I definitely have heard of, of multiple times um in this story it was interesting because she said that the doctor pronounced her grandmother dead and then her great aunt um let the death whale loose and then her grandmother sat back up and said can i go now (laughs) and then everyone just kind of looked at her and then she laid down and closed her eyes and was gone and they were like okay holy shit um, (laughs) yeah wow so she was already pronounced i know that's kind of heavy that (laughs) is um, that's, what a way to yeah. go. What a way to go. Y'all, y'all uh, Keenan yet? <laughs> yeah, I know. Did you do it? Did, Did you do it? Can I go okay. now? Can I go now? <laughs> yeah. That's I am ready. I, wow. Have you ever heard the song? Have you ever heard the song Finnegan's Wake? 
Yes, yeah. I have. Which is mm-hmm. also about a corpse sitting up bolt upright. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I read that it's a, it was a common practice in the Appalachians too for there to be a woman to sit by the side of the of the dead body at, overnight, um, you know, to keep watch. Yeah. And um, so I, that's also a, a similar concept in Ireland and Scotland where you yeah. you we wake the vigil. dead. Yeah, we vigil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's still a very, yeah. very live practice in parts of the country. Very yeah. much so, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, where my wife is from, in the uh, um, the northern half of the country, she's from County Louth, um, the wake is two nights in the family home. Um, somebody's always with the body, always right the way through. And then on the morning of the funeral, they put the lid on the box and off to the church and then off to the... the yep. The, the grave so it's very it's very intimate and mm. like in other parts of the country mm-hmm. that's sort of been moved to the funeral home where you have yeah. a, a more mm-hmm. sanitized version of it yeah. right so um rebecca well, before we wrap up we like to ask people what their favorite irish word is i know for a fact that your um your twitter handle is a is an irish name that i really enjoy yes uh well tierna um, oh, wow. i read that in your book and i i fell in love with it it's that is lovely it's a really poetic word yeah. Fuel Tierna. I like that. It's like Wolf Lord, Wolf Lady. Wolf Lady, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I identify with that kind of personality. <laughs> Fantastic. Awesome. And do you have another favorite word? I do. Um, Knoverlock is. I oh, think I'm pronouncing wow. That Skeleton. Skeleton. Can skeleton. overlook for skeleton. That's I've always thought it had an onomatopoeic kind of quality to it. Yeah, it does. It sounds like you're kind of playing xylophone on the ribs. Like, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. That is awesome. Yep. Fantastic. Rebecca, your your band Paper Ravens. Uh we're gonna we're gonna play a little bit on, on the on the outro. Do you wanna tell us where people can find out more about them? Oh sure. Um so we are on pretty much every platform of social media as paper underscore ravens. Um we also have a website, paperravens.com. Um, you can find our music on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen. It's it's on pretty much any any streaming platform. So, yeah. Found myself in another town, a kind of one light, one life piece of the ground. Not really looking to settle down, just wanna rest for a while. Just let me rest for a while. Found a bar and I was sipping wine When a pair of snake eyes started looking at mine He came to me with a crooked smile And said stay for a while Why don't you stay for a while? Fantastic. Rebecca Wells, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. So, so it's a slant for me. And it's a slant Ramshaw. And it's a slant for me. <laughs> Excellent. Yay! Hey, it's Patter. You know, from the podcast you just listened to. I'm here to tell you that Motherfucklore comes out on the Headstuff Podcast Network every Friday. You can get it on Spotify, you can get it on iTunes, you can get it on Podcast Addict, you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. So check us out every Friday on HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. We want to thank Kirsten for the amazing artwork as always, and thanks to Brian back at Headstuff for producing. If you want to contact the show, you can contact the show at motherfucklore at headstuff.org. Or if you send us a sound file, uh, we might even include it. Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so we're, we're loading up for our next mailbag episode. And in the meantime, please do. If you've got a friend and they're asking if they think of podcasts, tell them about us. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.
Awesome. 